While they're taking their seats, if you would go ahead and take your copy of God's Word and turn to the book of Isaiah. We're going to start, excuse me, in chapter 40. And uh, just in case you're wondering, that song that the choir just sang was the perfect intro to today. Uh, this sermon is, uh, is, is all kind of wrapped around the, the greatness of God within the book of Isaiah. And uh, just to kind of give you a heads up, it's funny how the Holy Spirit works. Uh, probably four, three months ago, I had mapped out three months of sermons. And so if in the last three months you ever thought, hmm, Pastor Bobby saw me in town doing this and then he preached on it, he's after me. No, I, uh, I had three months of sermons planned out. Uh, already, and I gave them to Betsy ahead of time. And so what Betsy does sometimes is she'll take the, the hymns and the worship courses and kind of wraps them around whatever the text is going to be for the week. But her list ran out about two weeks ago, and uh, I've just kind of been up in arms about what to do with Isaiah. So I didn't give her, I just kind of told her what I might have in mind, uh, but she had no specifics. And so it's just neat how the, the Holy Spirit works in the lives of each of us independently and works things out. Uh, just really neat how it works out. And hopefully, as the sermon progresses, you'll see how, how neat of a thing this is. Um, let's go to the Lord in prayer, and we'll get started. Father, I thank you for your many blessings. I thank you for your spirit. I thank you that, um, that there is unity in the body of Christ. I thank you for our sister Iris, who has followed you in baptism. And God, I pray that we, uh, during this next time together, that we would hear a message from you, that you would... Um, through me, allow me to speak your word and tell us exactly how great you are. And Father, I pray that you would allow us to uh, see you possibly in great and mighty ways that we never have before. And so God, speak through me, your servant, and feed your people. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, we're in Isaiah chapter 40, but by way of brief review, uh, if you want a review of everything we've been covering, you can go to the website and you can start back six, seven months ago and, and get a good solid review of everything we've covered. But for the sake of today and for Isaiah, because there's so much ground to cover, uh, God's chosen people who, have, who are the people of Abraham, uh, God said to Abraham, through you, I'm going to build a people and I'm going to draw the nations of the world back to myself. And now this people that God has chosen and he's been growing together, this people has divided into two peoples now. And one of the, uh, the, the northern tribe of Israel has been taken off into captivity and the southern tribe of Judah is going down the exact same route. It's no secret that they are full of wickedness and they are going to see the same fate that their brothers Israel did and they're going to go off to captivity as well. Uh, and so the prophet Isaiah comes on the scene and the book of Isaiah can be broken up uh, pretty neatly uh, into a simple outline. I told you that the, the first book of Isaiah excuse me, the first chapter of Isaiah, it's kind of an overview of the whole book. Uh, he walks through the condemnation of Israel. Remember, he says, he comes on the scene and he says, an ox knows his master and a donkey knows his master's manger, but you, my people, don't have any idea who I am. And you, you have this tragic story of, of Israel forgetting who God is and neglecting him. And then you move on to kind of the broader chapters 1 through 35 of Isaiah, all condemnation to Israel. 
condemnation, condemnation, with a little bit of good things sprinkled in, it seems, just so you keep reading. And then you have chapters 36 through 39, and you kind of have a historical interlude where you learn about Hezekiah and some of the historical things that are going on during the period of Isaiah. Then you move into what we're at now, Isaiah chapter 40 through 48, and chapters 40 through 48 are broken down, and they all talk about the greatness of God in all of these different things. And so he's going to show you how great he is amidst creation and amidst all of the all of these other things. And this is incredible how God reminds his people how great he is and how he is worth following above everything else this world has to offer. And so in line with the song that we sang, he is more wonderful than anything we could imagine. And then it naturally flows from he shows you how great he is. So he has condemnation. Then he shows you how great he is. And then he offers out his hand to you through his servant. And chapters 49 through 57 are all about the suffering servant of Isaiah and the salvation that that Messiah is going to bring. And then the final chapters, chapters 58 through 66, are all about the, the millennial kingdom and the blessings that, that come from following the salvation of the servant Messiah. And so this week, we're all in the greatness of God. Next week, uh, we'll introduce to you this new character uh, in the Old Testament, the servant Messiah, or the suffering servant, who is God's chosen seed to take away sin. And uh, from there, who knows where we'll go. Amen? But now, Isaiah chapter 40, let's get started. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 10. God wants you to see how great he is in releasing Judah from captivity. And so what happened was Judah was down south and they were content in their wickedness and ungodliness. And uh, Israel and some of the nations from the north want to take Judah as an ally. They want Judah to join forces with them and fight with them. And Judah says, you know, I think that's a bad idea. I'm going to join forces with this other country instead. And Israel comes south into Judah and actually takes captive 200,000 people from Israel. 120,000 foot soldiers are killed in a war. So their best soldiers are all killed in a war. And then they take 200,000 of the women and children and the men who weren't able to fight, and they take them back to Israel. Well, what happens is uh, a prophet, God sends a prophet from Judah to Israel, and the prophet tells Israel, he says, are you without sins? Are you so without sin that you can take your own brothers and sisters and make them your slaves? And they go, no, no, that's not us. And he says, well, what you need to do is you need to release your brothers and sisters. And so Israel takes all the spoil from the war and they feed the 120,000 or the 200,000. And then they clothe them and then they give them ointment. And then they send them back to Judah in better shape than when they were conquered. And so here in chapter 40, verse 10, it says, behold, the Lord... God will come with might, with his arm ruling for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. Like a shepherd, he will tend his flock. In his arm, he will gather the lambs and carry them in his bosom. He will gently lead the nursing ewes. And so you have this idea that this shepherd, God, the good shepherd, he comes down and he rescues his people from Israel and he sends them back. But this shepherd, the interesting thing about the shepherd, verse 11, is that he'll tend his flock. And in his arm, he'll gather the lambs and he'll carry them in his bosom and he'll gently lead the nursing ewes. And so this shepherd is not a tyrant. Any of you guys ever had a boss that was a tyrant who was just belligerent? This shepherd is not like this. Remember I told you last week that uh, when I went to my father's house and he was going to round up cows, my idea of rounding up cows was to get on the four-wheeler and chase them wherever you wanted them to go? Well, this shepherd takes the food bucket 
and he hits the side of it and he pours out food and he gently leads the people where he wants them to go. And so you have a people who have done nothing but reject God, but when he comes to them, he's going to come to them as a gentle shepherd. Now we move on to verse 12. And this is the greatness of God in relation to creation. And so he comes to the people and he tells them this, verse 12. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens by the span and calculated the dust of the earth by measure and weighed the mountains in a balance and the hills in a pair of scales? And so you can just get a glimpse here that God says, who took the waters of the earth and measured them out in his hand? He took the waters of the earth and put them in the hollow of his hand. He says, who did that? Did you do that? Did your friends do that? Did your, did your idols do that? He'll get to that later. Did your idols do that? No, I didn't think so. I'm the one who did it. And then he says, who marked off heavens by the span? Listen, the heavens are incredible. We don't even know how far the heavens go, how far the universe goes, and we'll talk about that in a second. Who weighed the mountains in a pair of balances? Excuse me, who weighed the mountains in a balance and the hills in a pair of scales? And so who took the Rocky Mountains and set them in a scale and figured out exactly how big they should be before he put them in place? And God says, yeah, that was me. I did that. And so when you look around at creation, he wants you to know that he is the one who did all of those things. And it gets better. Verse 15. Behold, the nations, all the nations, are like a drop from a bucket and are regarded as a speck of dust on the scales. And so all of the nations are like a speck of dust on the scales and they're like a drop from a bucket. And so like a lady who who gets a bucket of water from a well and goes to carry it home, the overflow from the giant bucket, that's what the nations are like. And God says... They're all like dust on the scales. And so, brothers and sisters, when you look around, when you watch the news and you see that the nations are in an uproar, Psalm chapter 2, I believe, says that the the nations are in an uproar and they plot in vain. God has all of that under control. Whatever happens with ISIS, whatever happens with Syria, whatever happens with all of these other nations, remember that you serve a God who all of those things are like a drop from a bucket like dust on the scales. Um, um, I'll talk about the other one later. Listen to this. This is one that I like a lot. Verse 25. To whom then will you liken me that I would be his equal, says the Lord. This is verse 25. To whom then would you liken me that I would be his equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these stars. The one who leads forth their host by number, he calls them all by name because of his greatness and, excuse me, because of the greatness of his might and the strength of his power. Listen to this. Not one of them is missing. And so he says, go out in your backyard. Uh, some of you are old enough that you grew up without probably lights in the house, maybe originally, and you just remember it being very dark. There's no street lights. There's no of this. And you walk out when you go in the country and you look in the, up at the stars and there's more stars than you see if you're in the city. And so get somewhere where there's no lights. Take your kids somewhere where there's no light pollution, no anything. And then look up at the stars and see them all. And tell your children that the Lord our God put every single one of them in its place. Listen, our sun, I I love this sort sort of solar system type stuff. Our sun is one million times the size of our earth, okay? You could take one million of the planet that we live in and put that inside the sun. And our sun is considered a small to medium sized star. The biggest star, I'd never heard of it before, V.Y. Canis Majoris. Sounds like a mean star, doesn't it? Canis Majoris. That's That's a good dog name. Anyways... That star, 
that star is the size of the planet Saturn's orbit around the sun. And so go back to school for a minute and you have the sun, which is a hundred million times the size, excuse me, uh, what did I say? A million of our Earths could fit inside the sun. And then you have Mercury's orbit, Venus, Earth, Mars, Jupiter, and then Saturn. That largest star is the same size as Saturn's orbit. An enormous star. And God says, look at them all. Not just look at them and look who created them. This is the part I love at the, at the end of it. He says, not one of them is missing. He talks about this like... Like when our preschool teachers are, have a giant class of preschoolers during vacation Bible school, I would expect a new preschool teacher to come to me and say, hey, Pastor Bobby, not one of them is missing. I got them all. Like there was 20 preschoolers in the room. And, and when the service was over, we still had 20 preschoolers. And so I just get this idea that these stars, God says not one of them is missing. We look at the stars and we think, well, where on earth would they go? And it says God keeps them all securely in the palm of his hands, just like we would keep preschoolers in the palm of our hands. I don't know, just the personality that he seems to give to these stars. Then he says in verse 27, why do you say, O Jacob, and assert, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and the justice due me escapes the notice of my God? And so the people are, are believing that the things that they're doing are hidden from the Lord. So the people of Israel are committing these sins, and they think that what they're doing is hidden from the Lord. Listen, just because you go into a closet or into a house or into a dark place only out at night and sin, don't think for a second the Lord doesn't see it. And so he's, why do you think... That the Lord doesn't see it. Why do you think you're escaping the notice of God? Verse 28. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. He is understanding and incrucible. He gives strength to the weary. And to him who lacks might, he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired, and vigorous young men stumble badly. Yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. And so, brothers and sisters, the greatness of God can be seen in creation and that he holds the stars all in place and he doesn't lose any of them. He also can hold you in your place and direct your paths. And when it gets hard to follow Christ... When following Christ gets difficult, the text says that those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. And so when you get to the point in your Christian walk, and and I've been there, I hope you've been there too, where you just say, God, I cannot go any farther. I've got to buckle. He says, wait a little bit longer. And then you'll mount up with wings like eagles. And he will be the one who carries you. Now he goes over to chapter 41. Chapter 41, verse 21. And so he shows you how great he is uh, in releasing Judah from captivity. He shows you how great he is uh, in comparison to creation. And then he shows you in relation to idols how great he is. And this one is incredibly fitting. And he says in chapter 41, verse 21, Present your case, the Lord says. He's talking to the people and their idols. Present your case, the Lord says. Bring forth your strong arguments, the king of Jacob says. Let them, that's the idols, let them bring forth and declare to us what is going to take place. 
As for the former events, declare what they were, that we may consider them and know their outcome, or announce to us what is coming. Declare the things that are going to come afterward, that we may know that you are God's. Indeed, do good or evil, that we may anxiously look about us and fear together. And so that's what he says to the people who are trusting in their idols. If you remember, the people have forsaken the Lord and they're worshiping idols. When the people went into the promised land, they were supposed to wipe out all of the people and destroy all of the graven images and everything else, and the people don't do it. And so over time, all of those Canaanite uh, gods and goddesses, they infiltrate the religious system of Israel. And pretty soon, instead of worshiping the Almighty God, the Israelites find themselves worshiping all sorts of idols. And what happens is they put their faith in these idols, and they turn from the Lord to serve the idols. And he tells them, listen, let your idols prophesy. Get your idols to, to foretell what's going to happen in the future. And then he says, oh, they can't do that? Get, a, get your idols to tell us what happened in the past and then explain the significance of it. So don't just have to tell the story. Tell us what happened before and why it happened. And then he says in verse 24, Behold, you are of no account and your work amounts to nothing. He who chooses you is an abomination. And so those people who look to those idols are an abomination. Verse 25, This is God speaking. I have aroused one from the north, and he has come. From the rising of the sun, he will call on my name, and he will come upon rulers as upon mortar, even as the potter treads clay. He who has declared this from the beginning that we might know, or from former times that we might say he is right. Surely there was no one who declared. Surely there was no one who proclaimed. Surely there was no one who heard your words. Formerly I said to Zion, Behold, Here they are, and to Jerusalem I will give a messenger of good news. But when I look, there is no one, and there is no counselor among them. Who, if I ask, can give an answer? Behold, all of them are false. Their works are worthless. Their molten images are wind and emptiness. And so he shows you how great he is as opposed to idols, and that we serve a Lord who knows the future. He says these wooden idols can tell you absolutely nothing. But I, the Lord, can tell you the future, and I can tell you the past and its significance. And we should be comforted that we serve a God who knows where history is headed, and we can trust him. And so when you look around, you don't have to look to all sorts of other things and people for hope. But our hope is in the Lord, and that he understands, and that he knows where things are going. Now over to chapter 42. Chapter 42, verse 14. So God has shown that he is above idols, that he's above creation. And then he also shows in chapter 42 that the greatness of God can be seen in him providing his servants. And so I couldn't leave this out. Uh, I was going to get to the servant of the Lord in the next few chapters, but there's a section here that any man who has a child is can follow with. A lot of times the prophets give illustrations and we think, boy, I have no idea what he's talking about. But Isaiah gives a prophecy that I think you'll all uh, be with. And so the Lord sends his servant to a people who were obstinate. Remember, the people could be likened to a harlot. Remember, he's called them harlots in the past. He's continually told them that they are selling themselves spiritually as a prostitute to other people. And listen to this. This is how great God is in providing his servant. Chapter 42, verse 14. He says, I have kept silent for a long time. I have kept still and restrained myself. Now 
Like a woman in labor, I will groan. I will both grasp and pant. So he says that I held off for a long time. I waited and I let things go. But now I'm like a woman in labor. I'm going to gasp and I'm going to pant and it's on. You men ever been there? For nine months, pregnancy is pretty, pretty, pretty chill thing. Not much to it, right? Uh, your wife kind of bears the brunt of everything. Like you feel for her. There's things you can't eat around her now. But she pretty much is, is doing all the work. And the, then at the very end, you get that it's time. And then when it's time, it's on. Right? It's go time. There ain't nothing holding this baby back. And there's not, there's not a speed fast enough that you can drive to get that lady to the hospital. Right? Listen, I'm, a, I'm normally a very slow driver. And there was a time when my wife was getting ready to have a baby. She looked at me and she said, do I need to drive? And I said, no. Understood. Understood. That's the Lord here. He says, I kept silent for a long time and I restrained myself. But now it's on. I will lay waste, verse 15, to the mountains and hills. I will wither all their vegetation. I will make the rivers into coastlands and dry up the ponds. And listen to this. I will lead the blind by a way they do not know. In paths they do not know, I will guide them. I will make darkness into light before them and rugged places into plains. These are the things I will do, and I will not leave them undone. They shall be turned back and be utterly put to shame. Who trusts in idols? Who says to molten image? Who who trusts in idols? Who say to molten images, you are our gods? And so if you remember in the beginning of the book of Isaiah, if you've been following along, uh, Isaiah chapter 6 begins, and you can stay in 42. Isaiah chapter 6 begins with God calling Isaiah to a particular purpose. And he says, then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, who shall I send? Who will go for us? And Isaiah says, here I am, send me. And God tells Isaiah, he said, go and tell this people, keep on listening, but do not perceive. Keep on looking, but do not understand. Render the hearts of this people insensitive, their ears dull and their eyes dim. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and return and be healed. And so the greatness of God can be seen in God sending his servant to the people who is going to do far more than Isaiah did. When Isaiah goes to the people, the people have eyes, but they can't see. They have ears, but they don't understand. And their hearts are far from God. But when the servant comes, he's going to lead the blind and pass. They don't know. He's going to turn darkness into light. And then he's going to turn them back away from their idols. And so brothers and sisters, the great thing here is that if you are a child of God and you've ever been saved, that the servant turned you from the way that you were going. You see, you and I are incapable of repentance on our own. You never just wake up one day and go, oh, you know what? I've been living a pretty rotten life so far. I think I'll change everything about me. That never happened. No matter how good you think you are, that never happened. It was God pursuing you, and God's the one who changed your heart and turned you back. And so if you're a child of God, you can see the greatness of God in the servant changing your heart and opening your eyes that you can see. All of you have had friends, I hope, that you've shared the gospel with before, and they've just looked at you like you were a moron. They're like, really? Yeah, yeah, I really do believe that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to live on this earth and die as a sacrifice for my sin, and then he rose from the dead. I really believe that, and I put my faith in that. And they just look at you puzzled. And then hopefully you've seen that same person when a light bulb goes off, and they go, I get it now. 
I, I get it that there's a, a God who became flesh and he died for my sins and he rose from the dead and I put my faith in him and their life has changed. It's because God pursues them and the servant pursues them and he is able to do things that Christ, or excuse me, that Isaiah wasn't able to do. And so if you're saved, you can see the greatness of God in him sending his servant. He goes on to say in chapter 43, it just gets better and better and better. Uh, he is going to ultimately restore Israel, okay? Because Israel has gone off into captivity, and, and Judah's about to go into captivity. But you're going to find later that when they go into captivity, they're going to come back as one nation. And here he says in verse 43, chapter 43, verse 1, But now thus says the Lord your Creator, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, though they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. And so, remember that Israel, uh, God comes on the scene through a man by the name of uh, Wait a minute, I just forgot. Anyways, the story of Hosea. And you have Gomer takes a, a spouse who's a harlot. And so it's as if God says, hey, let me tell you a story. Here's a righteous man here, and he took a wife who's a prostitute. And then they got married, they had a few children, and then the prostitute left, and the man went and got her back. Isn't that an interesting story? And Israel says, yeah, I can... I, that, that man seems really good. And then God says, yeah, the man does sound good. I'm the man, and you're the prostitute. How's that? Remember, much like Nathan comes to David and says, hey, let me tell you a little story. Uh, well, Israel is the harlot. And this says that the God who formed you, he says, don't fear for I redeemed you. I bought you back and I have called you by name. You are mine. Brothers and sisters, if you are here and you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, the same thing is true for you. He says that you are have been redeemed because I have redeemed you and I have called you by name. You are mine. You are mine, God says. And so when God picks teams, you ever been on a kickball field and you have teams picked? God picks you. He picks you and he chooses you and he sets you apart. And so you can be encouraged that in your darkest day, God says, I redeemed you. And no matter what you're going through, you're mine. And no matter how bad it gets, when you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And though the rivers and through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you. And so there's a popular theology out there that says, if you become a Christian, if you put your faith in the servant, he will free you from all of these things. And this isn't what it says at all. He says the blessing that you have in following Christ is that when you go through the fire, he's with you. He doesn't say that you get out of the fire. He says, when you go through the waters, I'll be with you. And so the people who say, God never puts anything more on you than you can handle. Um, um, you ever been in water over your head? You ever been in fire? That's a lot more than you can handle. But the idea here is that, yeah, you're up to your neck and you can't handle it. But the good thing is, is that God is there right beside you. And while you're going through it, he says, brother, even though you're going through this, you're mine. And that is incredibly good news to the follower of Christ. Then he goes on and we're moving quickly. 
go over to chapter 45. Chapter 45, he says, verse 1, Thus says the Lord, Cyrus, thus says the Lord to Cyrus, his anointed. Now, up until this point, you've never heard this man, Cyrus's name. Um, whom I have taken by the right hand to subdue nations before him and to loose the loins of kings, to open doors before him so that gates will not be shut. I will go before you and make the rough places smooth. I will shatter the doors of bronze and cut through their iron bars. I will give you the treasures of darkness and hidden wealth of secret places in order that you may know that it is I, the Lord, the God of Israel, who calls you by your name. And so God says that this man Cyrus, now this man Cyrus has, is not born at this point. This man Cyrus is not going to come around for another 150 years. He's a king that they haven't heard of. And Cyrus is going to be the one who releases uh, the people from Israel from captivity. And so when J Israel goes to captivity, when Judah goes into captivity, Cyrus is going to be the guy who turns them loose. And God says, it's me who takes Cyrus, his anointed, whom I have taken by the right hand. Listen, I love holding my kids' hands when they're little when we go places. Like, I love holding my kid's hand across the street, right? Because he's, he's mine. And I just, I just like holding that little hand. God says, I took the king and I grabbed his hand. And he went wherever I told him to go. That's a pagan king that God takes by the hand and has him do what he wants him to do. And he has that king subdue nations and loose the loins of kings. And so, listen, Israel's going to go into captivity and they're going to be under a, a wicked pagan king. And then God takes them by the hand and has the king set them all free. And not only does he set them all free, but he sends them back with, with governors and he sets them up to succeed when they go back. Brothers and sisters... Daniel chapter 2, I think it's verse 21, somewhere in there, says that God is the one who raises up kings and tears down kings. And he can be trusted in every sort of political arena that you can imagine. You may think our country is, is going downhill. Our leaders this, our leaders that. There's kings all over the world that are doing all sorts of things. But brothers and sisters, we serve a God who takes those kings and he takes them by the hand wherever he wants them to go. Now, sometimes he lets them go off on their own so that his purposes can be accomplished. But don't think for a second that the kings and princes of this world are in charge of where the world is going. God has the whole thing scripted out and it's going exactly like he wants it to. And so even though it may seem that things are getting worse, God has kings and princes by the hand and he is marching history toward a grand finale that is in the book of Revelation. And we know that it has to get worse before it gets better. And so be comforted in all of the things going on that God is greater than all of these things and he can use these world leaders any way that he sees fit. Chapter 46. God, the greatness of God can be seen in him judging Babylon. You see, there's an interesting thing here. I was talking to somebody um, after Wednesday night service and they said, okay, when Israel and Judah fight and when the Egyptians fight with them. And when the Assyrians fight, who's the good guy? Who's the bad guy? And I, I laughed and I said, that's a good question. Uh, none of them. Uh, none of them are the good guy. They're all bad guys fighting against each other. And God would be the one good warrior in the midst of all of it who's, who's standing for what's right. And so here you have chapter 46. It says, Baal, that's the Babylonian form of the god Baal. Baal has bowed down. Nebo stoops over. 
Their images are consigned to the beast and the cattle. The things that you carry are burdensome, a load for the weary beast. They stooped over, they have bowed down together. They could not rescue the burden, but have themselves gone into captivity. And so God's greatness can be seen when he judges Babylon because all of their big idols... All of their huge idols. You remember in uh, Babylon, uh, Nebuchadnezzar builds this big statue and all the people have to bow down to it. So there's this giant statue that the whole nation can see. He says that when he judges Babylon, that that idol gets cut down and gets put on a cart with a horse. Right? You all seen a horse cart? Well, he cuts down the idols and the, the idol is bowing down on the cart and they cart him off into captivity. And God says, that's how you can see that I'm greater than all of these other gods. Because when I sent in the nation to destroy Babylon, all of their images bowed down to me. All of their idols were cut down and they were on carts and they got carried off wherever they went. And listen to what he says. Verse 3. Listen to me, O house of Jacob and all the remnant of the house of Israel. You who have been born by me from birth and have been carried from the womb, even to your old age... I shall say the same, and even to your graying years I shall bear you. I have done it, and I shall carry you. I shall bear you, and I shall deliver you. You can see the greatness of God in this story of him judging Babylon because it's God who carries the people wherever they go. That he never leaves them, and he never forsakes them. He carries them wherever they go. Uh, Idols and all sorts of things are being carried off. You have friends and family who put their hope in all sorts of things. I know, I know several people who have built their dream houses and stocked it full of antique furniture and they thought they were set up to retire perfectly and the whole thing burns to the ground and then you have nothing. Listen, do not put your hope in idols, but put your hope in the living God who will take you right where he wants you to go. He's the one that carries us. And so we live in such a world that is materialistic and we strive and we work and we give our time and our money for all of these things around us. And all of those things can be cut down and carried away by somebody. But the Lord carries you. That's how he can be seen as great. This is the last one. Chapter 48. This one was too good to pass up. Um, I could relate to this one. Chapter 48, verse 3. God says, and he's showing his greatness in releasing Judah from Babylon. And so he's going to ultimately release Judah from captivity, which is, which is news. Nobody knew that once they went into captivity that he, they were going to come out by Cyrus and these things. And so verse 3, he says, I declared the former things long ago, and they went forth from my mouth, and I proclaimed them. So the former things, that they were going to go into captivity. And so he proclaimed them. Suddenly I acted and they came to pass. Verse 4. Because I know that you are obstinate. Ugh. And your neck is an iron sinew. Ugh. And your forehead bronze. Ugh. Next time you want to tell your husband that he's hard-headed, use biblical language and say, say, husband, old man of God thou art, you're obstinate. Your neck is an iron sinew and your forehead bronze. That ought to get his attention, right? That's much better than you're hard-headed. Uh, come to the men's breakfast and I'll tell you men what to say to the ladies. Uh, verse 5. Therefore, I declared them to you long ago before they took place. I proclaimed them to you so that you would not say my idol has done them and my graven image and my molten image have commanded them. You have heard, look at all of this, and you will you not declare it? 
I proclaim to you new things from this time, even hidden things which, I, which you have not known. They are created now, not long ago. And before today, you have not heard them, so that you will not say, Behold, I knew them. You have not heard, excuse me, you have not heard, you have not known. And so God comes to the people and he says, Guys, you are hard-headed. So I told you long ago things that were going to happen so that you didn't say that it was your idols that did it. And he says, and today I'm telling you new things. And you're so hard-headed that I'm telling you new things so that you don't say that's my idols that did all of that. Brothers and sisters, this book is full of accounts where people followed the Lord and blessing came about as a result of it. This book is full of examples of people who did whatever they wanted to do and bad things came their way. It is possible for a time to live life your way and to think that you're reaping blessings from the Lord, but you're not. And God says, listen, I've told you a long time ago that if you do things my way, that's where the blessings are. And so, guys, we as a people... No matter where we find ourselves, we can always look to creation. We can look to the way that God is dealing with the world around us. And we can be encouraged that he is greater than all of those other things. Guys, we serve a Savior who truly is wonderful. And he is worth casting off everything, as Paul would say, and running the race set before us. And so, brothers and sisters, when you are being called of God to do something, to make some sort of decision. I pray that the greatness of God would be in the back of your mind whenever you're making any decision. And when God asks you for something, that you would gladly give it to Him knowing that He is greater than anything else around. Amen? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank You for Your greatness. Father, we thank You that we can look around to creation and we can see how magnificent You are. Father, I thank you that we can look around to your dealings with the earth and see how magnificent you are. Lord, I thank you that you are a God who is able to tell us the future. Father, you have, you have said things thousands of years ago that are still coming to pass. And Father, you have in your word promises that cannot and will not ever be broken. And so God, I pray that we would never grow weary of worshiping your great name. And I pray that whatever life throws our way, that we would be able to rest knowing that you are greater than anything around us. Father, we thank you for the servant that you sent to save us from our sin. Father, I pray that if there's anyone here who has never put their faith in the servant, Lord, I pray that today would be the day that they would be forgiven of their sins and walk in new life. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. If you would stand for a hymn of invitation. If you guys will take your seat just for one second, uh, why don't you guys come on forward? We've got uh, three people that came forward for uh, membership today. Come on, guys. <laughs> yep. Let me introduce to you, uh, this is Greta, and this is Terry. Uh, Terry is our uh, new associational director of missions. Uh, he and his wife have been uh, looking around for a church over maybe the last three months or so, and uh, they feel the Lord leading them to join our, our fellowship, and so we're glad to have them. And this is Miss Emma Jackson. Emma's uh, been visiting for a while, and she feels the Lord uh, leading here to join here with our fellowship as well. Uh, I have one more who's not here that wants to join, but uh, he's a little guy. He's back in the nursery, and I told him that uh, I'd give him the opportunity to join the church next time. That's my son, Simeon. Uh, so Simeon wants to join our fellowship also. He's here, 
but he's just back there. Uh, but it's proper that uh, we still present him. You know how that goes, right? Everybody, yeah, we know how that goes. Anyways, thank you. Thank you. So uh, if you all would like to accept these four, I'll stand in place for Simeon, into our fellowship. Uh, they've all been baptized by immersion, and they're all followers of Christ. Uh, let it be known by saying I. All right, you're in. So we're glad to have you guys. Um, don't forget uh, about all the announcements in the bulletin. Uh, I'm going to get them to stay down here, and you can uh, welcome them into our church. We're going to get Simeon so that you can greet him as well. Uh, if he looks stunned as to what he just did, don't worry. He's, uh, we've had many dinner table conversations about it. But uh, you come by before you leave and make these uh, four feel welcome. Uh, I want to remind you that um, this may be new to you. That our choir is going to be singing at a revival, and I'm going to be preaching one service of a revival. Can you bail me out with the date? The 30th. The 30th of this month, our choir is going to be singing at Mars Hill, and I'm going to be preaching one night of revival at Mars Hill. And so I want to let you guys know ahead of time, if you're interested in coming, uh, that you're invited. Uh, There's a dinner beforehand if you're interested in eating dinner with the church, at the church. Just let me know, and I'll make sure we RSVP for you. You can email me or anything for more information. Anyways, let's go to the Lord in prayer, and we'll be dismissed. Brother Randy, would you close us in prayer?